This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Lots to get to today. It's been a newsy week, has it not? It was a newsy Wednesday, newsy Tuesday. Lots going on. Monday, there was the fallout from the Vikings game. It has been a week, and it is only Thursday on today's show. Get to a little bit of Timberwolf stuff, although you guys probably, hopefully you noticed, I did a bonus podcast on a, on Wednesday night with Chris Hine and Chip Scoggins, kind of breaking down the stunning firing of Gerson Rosas, which uh, was less stunning once you learned a little bit more of the, what was happening behind the scenes with the Timberwolves. Get to a little Joe Ryan stuff here. Plenty of wild content today, though. That is the uh, that is the focus of the show. I've got Bill Guerin, Wild GM, will join me here in just a little bit to talk about the Kirill Kaprizov signing, how that came together, how nervous he was that it wouldn't come together, and uh, and I'll also talk to Sarah McClellan, Wild beat writer, about Kirill Kaprizov, about the start of training camp, other other storylines with the Wild. So hopefully you look forward to that. But first, what did I miss? Yeah, I want to I want to briefly mention one tentacle to the Gerson Rosas firing as president of basketball operations that I think is particularly interesting. Now, when you know when a personnel boss gets fired, especially even at an awkward time like this, like right now as we sit here right now. Five days until the start of training camp. Not ideal. The person who has put together your roster is no longer in charge of your roster. That's not great. But the biggest thing is this roster, while possibly complete right now, they're still in pursuit of Ben Simmons. That is the big trade out there that's been dangling out there. And the Wolves have been rumored, thought to be, reported to be, among the chief suitors if Ben Simmons is going to get traded. What does this mean for that? Was that a pursuit that was being driven by Gerson Rosas? Was that a consensus pursuit? Will Sachin Gupta, who is in charge now, will he continue that pursuit? Is he less keen on that? Will he have the authority to make the decision because they might hire someone else on a permanent basis? So, that is the big wrench that's been thrown into that. If this was a normal year where the roster was 100% set, this would still be strange timing. This would still be awkward. This would still be kind of a wow, they did what moment. But with the Ben Simmons thing hanging out there, I'm particularly interested in how this impacts that, how the 76ers might look at this and be like, what? what's going on in Minnesota? Um, how people in Minnesota, if there's a consensus now, how should this be you know how how should this pursuit continue or should it continue at all so watch for that in the coming days this story right now is just like has the shock value but there are real basketball implications the earliest being what does it mean for Ben Simmons and down the road what does it mean for Carl Anthony Towns but I think there'll be time to break that down at a certain point and we certainly talked about that on the bonus podcast that you can find right below this one on your podcast listener let's talk Joe Ryan for a minute too it's my uh Twins. Uh, the one reason I watch the Twins right now basically is to see Joe Ryan pitch five innings, eleven strikeouts for the rookie against the Cubs. Twins win five to four on Wednesday, second win in a row in that series. Cubs not having a great year either, but two good wins for the Twins. Joe Ryan looking very, very good. Looking very, very much like he will be a part of this rotation in 2022. And looking like he could be, you know, more towards the top of the rotation at some point than the bottom of the rotation. Again, small sample size, but 
The, the stuff is good. It plays. It, it's sneaky on hitters, and he's striking out a lot of guys. And when you strike out a lot of batters, that goes a long way. So Joe Ryan continuing to do what he does, a good sign in a bad year for the Timberwolves. One other thing I want to get to quick, Kyle Rudolph had some interesting comments now with the Giants. I want to play them for you. He was asked about playing for Joe Judge this season, the head coach with the Giants. This is the first time Kyle Rudolph's been anywhere except for the Vikings. He played a decade here. Let's just play this, and then I'll, I'll, I'll briefly comment on it. You see that day in and day out, the way he pushes us on our fundamentals, on our technique. Uh, and it's, 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 to me, it's the first time I've had a head coach that's not a defensive coordinator. So it's a, it's a head coach that's in charge of the entire team. Was that a shot at Mike Zimmer? I don't know. Maybe kind of saying that he's only played for defensive coaches, which is true. Zimmer and then before him, Leslie Frazier, going back to 2011 for his one decade with Minnesota, now playing for Joe Judge. It's not like he's getting a ton of opportunities there. He's had four catches in two games. I don't know if he he meant that directly, but I, he wasn't crazy about his role in the offense as time went on, so maybe, just maybe, he was getting in a shot at Mike Zimmer, which is, you know, a little bit amusing. Let's leave it at that. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Really happy to have Bill Guerin, Wild General Manager, on Daily Delivery today. Bill, um, congrats. Did you get a good night's sleep Tuesday after the uh, Kirill Kaprizov deal was announced, finalized, broadcast to the world and to Wild fans? Uh, yes. <laughs> to answer the question bluntly, yes. I, I slept better than uh, than I have in, in quite some time, actually. And, you know, it felt good. I, I You know, Kirill and I had a, a flight back together, and we were both in very good spirits. And I think we're both happy to have it done and both happy with the way things worked out. What Was there one thing that ultimately got this done or got this to the finish line? Because it, it felt like, we were, you know, there was a point where we were like, okay, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And then at a certain point, it was like, well, it might not happen before camp. What what, what got us to the finish line? You know what? I, I think, you know, like most things, it's so, and I, unfortunately, I think we lose a lot of this in today's world, but we got to meet face-to-face. Okay. And we got, to, we got to sit down together a couple of times and, and, and just, you know, just kind of go over things, you know, together. And... You know, I, I, you get a better understanding of where someone's coming from or the feelings that they have. And I, I just think being face-to-face, you know, kind of at the 11th hour was, was really important. Well, you know, as you kind of reconstruct the timeline, um, what do you, in your mind, and I'm sure we, you know, you don't have to reveal everything, but what, you know, what was what was the holdup in his mind, or how how did the, how did we get this far down the road without a deal getting done? Yeah, I, I can't really get into the specifics, but you know what? The, like I've said this, you know, many times in the past, these, these contracts take take quite a bit of time. They're complicated. Um, you know, there's a, a a fluctuating market out there, and and you know, it 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 just takes time. I, I don't. You know, hey, look, we always feel like we're being fair. We always feel like we're offering the best deal. And then, you know, the player always feels that, you know, he's right, too. And, and 
you know, what he wants is not asking too much and all these things. So it's just a matter of, of kind of working through it. And Hey, look, sometimes it's a short process like it was with Erickson Eck. And sometimes it's a longer process like it was with Kirill. But I think the main thing now is that it's behind us and he's, he just wants to play hockey and he's here for, for training camp. Absolutely. Um, you know, before I get to that and some of the on ice stuff, you know, it's been, it's been a busy summer. It's been a bold summer. I don't know if you, play poker but i'd say i don't think i'd want to play poker with you my sense from the summer is that you have a lot of co- you have a lot of confidence and a lot of patience do you play poker bill um you know what actually i did when i played i wasn't very good though because uh I, I i had a lot of different i was i would be uh i'd be like reading a magazine watching a movie and playing cards so i, I wasn't ever really paying attention so i've changed a lot <laughs> Sounds like it. So maybe, you know, as, as you think about the summer in, in the big picture context, maybe you can kind of walk my listeners through how every big thing from the last few months, whether it was the, you know, the Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi buyouts to, you know, what's happened in free agency, the Kevin Fiala, you know, deal there, the, the Eric Tanek move, and now, of course, Kaprizov in the five-year contract, how all those things are connected as you think about kind of the, the big picture plan here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a pretty busy summer. I mean, um, you know, the buyouts actually seemed like they were, you know, last year. It's been so <laughs> long, and there's been so much else going on. But, you know, it, it this is all just in order to, to take the team in a direction that I, I feel we needed to go. And um, over the last couple of years, we've really made a, a, a number of changes. Um, and, you know, we're, we're – we're continuing to do that and, and we're slowly getting to the, the place where, where we want to be. And, um, you know, keeping Kevin in the mix was extremely important to making sure that he was at training camp, um, you know, getting Kirill signed last minute, but then also, you know what, we've got Brodine on an extension. We've, we got Eric Sinek done for an eight year deal. You know, Marcus Felino's back, all these guys that, that, that have signed with us, um, you know, are, are, are part of the, part of the solution to uh and part of the the the, the pieces that are going to you know hopefully help bring us a, a championship so um all those things that happen even like the buyouts are they're designed to you know get us get us over the the finish line how important you know was it like you said getting getting career here before camp starts not just from a playing standpoint but from a standpoint of now this is not the question you're getting asked every day is not questions that other players are fielding every day. What's the, what's the significance of that piece of it? Even if he got here eventually just avoiding that kind of, whether you call it a distraction or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a a relief for me, Uh, you know, that I don't have to answer the question anymore, but that's a small part of it. The most important part of it is that Kirill is here for training camp and, you know, it's kind of funny, but even we, we talked about it, you know, yesterday when we were going over things, like he really just wants to play hockey. He wanted to be here. He doesn't want to miss any time. He knows how important training camp is. And, and you know, that that to me was, uh, you know, and, and Krill's done everything to prepare for that. So he's he's ready to go. And, and um, you know, bottom line is that's the most important thing is that he is going to be in training camp and with his teammates and he's focused on the season now. As you think about, you know, the future going forward, not just him, but some of these other young players you have, just a couple more things for you here, Bill Guerin. Um, Marco Rossi, big piece of what you want to do going forward. Sounds like by all 
accounts, he is healthy. He's, you know, back on the ice, feeling relief, feeling gratitude, things like that. How, you know, you don't want to predict the future, but how, how important is he to not just two, three years down the road, how important is he to maybe even this year and taking that step with, with, you know, with the roster you guys have right now? Well, yeah, I mean, you know what, he, he's a very important part of, of the future. Um, and how far off the future is for him, I, I don't know. I think the most important thing is that he comes in and competes for a spot. He has a good training camp, and, and we'll take it from there. But the one thing that, that, that you know, I, I really like about, about Marco is that he, he's a culture guy. You know what, his work ethic, his compete level, his, you know, the way he takes care of, you know, both ends of the ice, um, all that stuff, like he, he comes in in great shape. All those things contribute to our culture. And, you know, he's definitely got leadership qualities. He's a driven young kid. So um, we're lucky to have him in, in the mix this year, and we're, we're glad he's healthy. Bill, final thought. You know, you guys surprised, I think, some people, especially external expectations last year, not just making the postseason, but, you know, having a, a series that could have gone either way when you get to seven games. What what do you imagine as you think about this season? You know, I think some teams can fall into a trap where if they overachieve to some degree, or at least we believe they overachieved, then there can be a step back. How, how does this team not only avoid taking a step back, but take a step forward this year again? Well, our expectations are higher than they were last year, and we have to hold each other accountable to that, and, and we have to push. Um, last year was good, but it wasn't it wasn't what we wanted. Um, and we have to realize that we have, we have things going in the right direction, but we, we really have to push and, um, you know, continue to get better, you know, every day. And it's, it's something that, that we all talk about as, you know, a management group as coaching staff and, and the players do as well. You know, these guys want to win. They want to win here. And, you know, we can't be satisfied with, you know, a, a seven game playoff series and, that's just not what it's all about. It's all about winning the Stanley Cup. Well, I'm sure there'll be new problems and issues to emerge during the season. But for now, congrats on uh, on getting this done and enjoy uh, enjoy a few good nights of sleep at least. All right. Yeah, thank. I'd love at least one day with no problems. So this is this is a good start. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Like to welcome back to Daily Delivery, Sarah McClellan does a great job covering the Wild for the Star Tribune. Haven't talked for. A little while. I think you had a, a little bit of time off, but now right back into it. And on the eve of basically training camp started, the Wild made some very big news. Talked to Bill Guerin about that. I want to get your perspective, though, on just how this whole Kirill Kaprizov negotiation played out and what you think it means that they were able to get this done at least before training camp starts. It's huge. You know, obviously to be in camp from the beginning. Uh, to be able to get on the ice with everyone at the same time. Yeah, it, it's it's key. And I think especially with the way this roster has evolved this offseason, it's not like it's the same lineup returning. Uh, there's been changes, obviously, up front on the back end. So to get everybody in, do the experimenting, the juggling, making sure that, you know, they're confident or like the combinations that they roll out. It's huge because if Kaprizov wasn't here, you know, there's that what if game or someone has to play somewhere else and maybe, you know, the coaching staff or management envisioned. So I think it's really important, you know, that he's here from the beginning. They got this done. 
obviously this had been going on for months. This was a negotiation that started, you know, during last season still before, you know, before it really crystallized what type of player he was before he, you know, established and solidified himself as this bona fide, you know, decorated rookie in wild history and won the Calder trophy. Um, but obviously a, a long process, Kaprizov said it was stressful for him. You know, this was a negotiation, obviously, that started with the Wild pushing and wanting, you know, that long, long-term deal, a seven or eight-year max deal. Obviously, the Kaprizov camp wanted shorter. We see the compromise, you know, at five years. Um, but still, you know, to get a deal done, this was a very unique process in, in, in the sense that there really wasn't a true bona fide comparable for Kaprizov. Um, obviously, we we tend to see in contract negotiations you find those comparable players, um, and that can kind of point or shape you know how the money comes in the term. No one else really had played just fifty five games in the regular season in his debut season, all against the same seven teams. You know, not against the entire league. Um, so it was a very unique set of circumstances. And then the fact, you know, he's moving away from home. It's a global pandemic. Um, it just, it, I think it was tough, you know, probably in, in that back and forth to really, you know, settle on what is the price tag for this? Because it just really hasn't happened before where a player has come in with such a limited body of work ahead of a second contract. Um, so obviously it settles in at 9 million, which when you kind of look at the, the ballpark that these second year contracts are being doled out for these elite players, it's in that range, obviously. And really what helped this deal get resolved was an in-person meeting. Um, you know, Kaprizov was in Florida. Garen flew there on Monday and they had that face-to-face -face interaction. And Garen really credited that with helping get this deal done like you said, on the eve of training camp so that Kaprizov reported on Wednesday and can practice on Thursday. Yeah, and Bill Guerin mentioned that too to me, and I think he mentioned that to the larger group that that face-to-face -face meeting was important. As you think about the terms of this contract, do you think one side got a better deal than the other? Were you surprised that they were able to get five years? Uh, I thought maybe four might be what they had to settle on. The $9 million seemed about right. Anything about where they settled? Did that? Did it? Do you think one side got more of what they wanted, or was this a true meet in the middle compromise in your eyes? I see that, and I asked Aaron about that. If there was a disappointment attached to the five-year term because the Wild had wanted, you know, a longer-term commitment uh, when this negotiation started, and and um, you know, like this is how deals get consummated. It's one side gives a little, the other side gives a little, and maybe both sides kind of left something that maybe they, you know, thought that they would have got that they didn't. And, and I think that's kind of the nature of these contracts and tends to be the nature of the contracts that both sides end up happy with when both sides maybe didn't get exactly what they wanted. So no, I mean, five years is still, still a lengthy commitment. You know, he was going to be able to be eligible to reach unrestricted free agency in three years. So they buy, a, you know, two of those UFA years. Um, and obviously the price tag for those years tends to go up. And like I said, I think that eight, $9 million range was obviously a ballpark that the wild was comfortable playing. 
um, when you kind of look at what he did and try to project and, and, you know, draw that out to an 82 game season, draw that out to, you know, a hundred, 200 games that usually these players have on their resume when they're negotiating these second contracts. So I, I think it's that both sides and that's probably how this meeting in the middle and getting a resolution really happened. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, for all the wild fan angst about get it done, get it done, get it done. You're right. This guy's body of work as, as great as it was in a, you know, what was mounted to a little more than a half of a normal season. Um, there's a little bit of a not uh, unknown is maybe the wrong word, but how does this translate? He's got a certain amount of what he needed needing to live up to this contract at this point now and prove it that he can do it for multiple years. Yes. And, and think about that challenge that starts this upcoming season where he's going to be playing against other teams, some of the most elite teams in the NHL against the other league superstars, the Alex Ovechkins, the Sidney Crosby's, the Connor McDavid's. He's going to go and kind of match up against that caliber, see a lot of these teams um, that made long playoff runs that the Wild didn't face last season in his rookie year playing out of this West Division where, you know, a handful of those teams were near the bottom of the NHL, you know, leaderboard. And so he is not a secret. He is not under the radar. His play obviously, you know, started that spotlight, I guess you could say, putting that on him last season. But now he has a hefty contract. You know, not many players in this league, period, have a cap hit on their contract that is $9 million. And he's the reigning Calder Trophy winner. So there's going to be a lot of attention on him. And it's up to him now to play up to that do what he did last season. And the wild doesn't believe there'll be a regression. I think obviously this contract points to the confidence they have in his ability and what he's shown and what he can continue to show, but it's going to be time to show It's not going to be like last season. It's not going to be facing the Anaheim ducks seven times, eight times. This is going to be a different ball game this season. And, you know, I I'm sure there's probably a lot of eagerness to see how he does, but there's probably excitement in that too, to get to play at Madison Square Garden and, and, and go up against, you know, a Stanley Cup champion in Tampa Bay. So I think this season, the rookie season, that's always intriguing. But I think this season, the second sophomore season for Kaprizov will be especially must see TV, must watch hockey. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point too. And just as we, as we think about the wild and I asked Bill Guerin about this, you know, they had maybe minimized expectations last year, at least externally, then they exceeded them by getting to the playoffs, by being competitive in that first round series. How do they now, over the length of this contract, support a player like Kaprizov when you are cap-strapped to a certain degree, especially in those three years where the, the Parisian suitor buyouts are so onerous? How, how do they do that? It's going to be interesting. I, I, I don't know that there's an easy solution for that. Um, you know, well, obviously how the salary cap ceiling progresses here may, you know, provide some guidance as to if, you know, how much wiggle room they can have. But you're right. There's money on the books that they will not be able to spend as part of the buyouts. And it's going to limit their flexibility. And you're right. I think now at this point, you see the team make such a significant commitment to a player like Kaprizov. You know, the question is then 
who else is around him? How do you capitalize on this? How do you use this five years as a window to, you know, getting closer or achieving the organization's goal of winning a Stanley Cup? Um, I think the next Fiala contract will be key. Obviously, if you'll remember, he's only in on a one-year deal. So that might be able to provide, you know, some hint of what they can do moving forward. But obviously we've seen in, in Garen's two years, he's not shy to, to make changes. So if that's been the MO, it's probably going to take a lot of creative math and juggling to, to figure it out, especially if the cap stays flat uh, amid the, you know, financial repercussions of the pandemic. So it's, it's, going to be tough. I think that's the reality though. the wild knew it was inheriting, you know, when it went for the buyouts, but it does now feel with Kaprizov having this deal done that, you know, there is a window to build on the, the momentum that the team, you know, galvanized last season and to continue that trajectory. And this season is obviously the first step of that. And again, you're right. This season, and camp actually starts now. What what are the some of the camp battles that you're looking forward to? Is it Marco Rossi trying to win a spot? Is it some of these other young players? Is it some of the depth players they have? How do you see, you know, kind of some of the the questions they have playing out? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how these young prospects uh, show up and match up against the caliber of an NHL training camp. Obviously, they were in for some rookie games ahead of time. And, you know, by all accounts, impressed, wowed, did what they were supposed to do as top tier prospects. But does that translate against, you know, the Jonas Brodines and Matt Dumbas of training camp that are experienced, established NHL veterans? We'll see. I think that's an intriguing, you know, storyline to watch is, you know, do they impress enough to merit a spot on this roster? And they and they have to come in in the roles that they play to get here. They, they're not coming in to play fourth line minutes. They're coming in to be top six impact players. So whose spot are they going to take? Who would they develop chemistry with? I am also interested to see, obviously if the, the wild wants to stick with the same lines that were last season that we saw kind of in the top six, or do they go back to the drawing board? Obviously that Yul Erickson Eck, Jordan Greenway, Marcus Felina line was super consistent last season, but you know, maybe now there's some intrigue of trying Erickson Eck alongside a Kaprizov or, or a Zuccarello because of how well he performed offensively last season. So I think there's some answers, um, you know, to get up top and especially, you know, we haven't even talked about the defense yet. This is like a completely remade defense, only three returners. And if you think about it over the years, this has been the bread and butter of the Minnesota wild. This has been the foundation. It's been so steady. It's been the same basis for years, at least, you know, the majority on this blue line. And, and now there's going to be three new people integrated into the mix. Um, you know, I, I'd expect Alex Goligoski to to take that top spot next to Jared Spurgeon, but you have to see how they click. And then, you know, a completely new, probably third pairing if, if Jonas Brodine and Matt Dumba stay together to fill up the top four. So I'm interested to see if that has a stylistic effect. I don't think the Wild will want to change the way it plays and being that strong support and supporting the puck up ice um, and being obviously stingy in its own end. But 
different personnel, there's, it's not going to look the same. So I, I think that'll be interesting, but obviously, you know, then behind them, it's the same tandem in net it's Cam Talbot and, and, and Kakinen. And, you know, maybe that puts a little bit more pressure on them to kind of steady that end of the ice with a, a defense right now. That's obviously been in transition. A lot of stuff to sort out. I'm looking forward to this season, looking forward to it even more because we get to watch Kirill Kaprizov uh, play. I was a little nervous there for, for wild fans. Uh, maybe there was never a doubt in your mind that it was going to get done, but I did wonder, and Bill Guerin did say he, he, uh, he slept better on Tuesday night than he had in quite some time. So maybe he was uh, not nervous, but just relieved, I guess, to get that done as well. Um, Sarah McClellan, thank you so much for joining Daily Delivery. We'll do this plenty of times during the season. And uh, yeah, enjoy uh, enjoy camp, all right? Take care. Let's finish with the cooler. Circling back on Gerson Rosas one more time, the player that he traded in probably his highest profile move as Timberwolves president in two years was the trade of Andrew Wiggins to Golden State for D'Angelo Russell. A first-round pick also went out in that deal. Andrew Wiggins um, reportedly is not vaccinated yet and has said he won't get vaccinated, and that is putting into jeopardy his availability for Golden State this season because City of San Francisco has a, a new rule basically saying as of August 20th, you need proof of vaccination to be at a large indoor event, which a Warriors game certainly is. So be interested to see how that plays out this year. Kind of a headache, I would imagine, for Golden State. Maybe Wiggins will get the vaccine now that he knows he has to do it in order to play basketball, but um, not uh, not the greatest thing for them to be dealing with on the eve of training camp as they go along. That will do it today. Like I said, whole podcast on the on the Timberwolves and the situation went up late last night, so have a listen to that if you will. Friday's show should be great as well. Lots of NFL talk, kicker talk, so please check that out with me too. I'm Michael Rand. Thanks for listening to Daily Delivery. We'll catch you on Friday.